This is the Beards of Blue Ridge, episode 39. Got the whole team together this morning. That's right. Everybody's here. Everybody's here and accounted for. And we do not have the right to be here. Which we do not. We have, you have no rights whatsoever. And Todd was explaining to me how I have no rights. And, you know, well, that's not, yeah, now you're going to start a political riot outside <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said more so it's like right if you have feel like you have the rights to anything it can create entitlement which is not what we should be after. We're going for gratitude, right? That's what I'm going for. Yeah. Well, you've been demanding rights outside. <laughs> That's true, right? <laughs> yeah. Marco's just read off his list of demands. <laughs> I came in. I'm going to take over this podcast. Those are notes. List. Those are notes. Those are demands. One. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. The, uh, He's no, taking hostage for... the phones. Not, I won't admit anybody. <laughs> Nobody. These things. <laughs> Until my demands have been met, everyone. Yeah. No, well, I'm going for gratitude today. My right is to be grateful. It's not right? the only right you have. <laughs> Thank you, we stripped you of the rest of them. <laughs> Graham took the well, rest I mean, of if you have right. rights, can you have wrongs? Yeah, I think so. I feel like I have so a lot So you're of setting this up to say Marcos was wrong out there. I've, I felt like I would participate in that. Like, I feel like I got a lot of flaws. Several. At least seven. Why do you have to look so negatively seven. at yourself? Well, is it really a flaw, though? Or is it just the beautiful design of God that, that allows you to work deeper on yourself and come to a better understanding? Mm -hmm. Well, I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can both of those be right? Does it got to be one Why does or the it have other? to be right or wrong and it does not be? <laughs> right. Or can it be right, wrong, and just be all at the same time? Well, I don't think it can be if it's right or wrong. And therefore, right or wrong shouldn't exist. It's just... Bees. So we shouldn't have rats, we should have bees. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You're almost getting into like the Beatitudes. You know? Oh yeah, now you're yeah. taking it to a different <laughs> Or bees, literal bees. Or yeah, literal bees. You know, they're great. I love them. They're actually, you know, without bees, the, the world would turn into a whole different planet. Because of the pollination of what they, what they do for pollination and growth and all that, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm a big supporter of the bees. You you should start a beekeeping company and have a little side job with some little headgear and all that, and, and you the, go spend time with bees. Yeah, I, I could, get so I could good, see you doing that. Well, you yeah. get so yeah. good you can go with nothing on meditate within the, the bees. There's, a, sit. You can There's make, a lady who does that. Well, she'll like save them and they won't attack her. She's just doo -doo -doo, picking you them up with her hands. You can make elote with honey. Ooh, new secret elote. So listen to this. Yep. This is off topic about bees, but <laughs> so there's it. something There's something called, let me pull it up here. Uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, Ubuntu or Ubuntu, U B U N T U. So pretty not 
pretty sure you're not pronouncing that right. Probably. <laughs> 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 I thought. Kentucky accent. <laughs> 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 Just with that accent alone, it whipped out. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was it was the coolest thing. So what, what it is is. It's over in South Africa that if somebody does something wrong within the tribe, what they do is they bring them into the center of the circle for two days and constantly tell them what's good about them and what they've done right. That's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, to kind of, I guess, ward off the, the whatever they deem to be done wrong. Nice. You know what I mean? But I thought it was, that's pretty sweet. I'm yeah. in the middle of a four-step. Can we can we move to South Africa right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, can, well, can, I, I guess the term the term that I didn't pronounce right means humanity towards others, mm-hmm. and being able to surround people with, you know, because it made me think. Then it's like when you go and and because um, somebody the other day was talking about uh, well, it was Richard Rohr. I was listening to him and he was talking a lot about the. the <laughs> The perception and the paradigm, because I've been all into paradigms lately and the subconscious part of the brain and what you get told uh, it, from age zero to seven is really the what life you live out from mm-hmm. that point on is what the, the theory is, uh, unless you can change the subconscious part of the brain. So I, it first went to, like I look back at the punishing God that I was told early on of what the, how that exists and how that created a fear. Because Richard Rohr talks about almost everybody, their subconscious, those stories are come from a place of fear, you know. So I, I was able to kind of identify that. And I even know when I went to onset and how it all shifted and what had to happen, which is a not just, oh, I'm going to change it. Like, it was an extreme emotional experience that you had to go through, I had to go through to get to the other side of it. But when I looked at that, it's like, so with my kids, I started thinking, it's like, what what paradigm have I planted in their head about God? Just say that, yeah. that topic. You know, is God a punishing God or a loving God? You know what I mean? Yeah. Which one did I plant for them? And then it's when I saw this this picture about the however you want to say that you you Ubuntu or or whatever. Yeah. It's like did, do when they make a mistake or they do something wrong, do I surround them with all the things they've done right? You know, it's like when they make a like a my daughter the other day said, "Well, I made it." I said, "Well, how'd you do on your science thing?" She's like, "Well, I made a, a C." I was like, "Well, that's awesome." Yeah. Like, my parents would not have said Yeah, mine either. Oh, no. You know what I mean? That was not uh, awesome, yeah. So it's but, like I can see the difference in, I guess, how I'm trying to treat them and the experience that gets created. Because mm-hmm. I don't, man, I started thinking about it. I don't have, I couldn't, I don't have never really sent my kids to time out um, since they were tiny, tiny. You know, we don't. I don't do discipline. I don't punish. Like it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's like this. I'm so grateful for that experience because it's kind of what this, that that you know, same South African little tribe things. I don't surround them with what you've done wrong as much as I I do taking a moment to tell them all the things to be right and then teach them. Hey, if you really want to change that in your life, this is what you can do, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't ever have to. It's crazy. I see, say, so boy, I was at Cub Scouts last night, which we had that conversation already, I believe, how Cub Scouts is no longer just for boys. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, no, I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't know that. Boy Scouts isn't a thing anymore. Well, yeah. It's we, a BSA yeah. Scout, so anybody can be a part of it. So yeah. my daughter is, is a Cub Scout. Mm -hmm. So we go to this thing, and I'm watching the the parents with these other kids are just, I mean, nightmares. Like yelling, yeah. screaming, not paying attention. Like I, and they have to try to correct it. Like, I don't have to do any of that with my kids. You know, and it, it's one of the coolest experiences to sit back and think I wonder why that's so different mm -hmm. you know what I mean why that parent is yelling and they're like take them off the side and like slap you know what I mean get and, over here <laughs> yeah and it's like does that not just create more of the same behavior probably it did for me <laughs> yeah that's what I'm saying it's yeah. like, so when you really go into the subconscious of the brain trying to start figuring out yourself I think it, for me anyway, the recent experiences, it's been, it's helped me learn how to interact with other people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, I don't want to plant that seed for my kids or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I know that may not even be the topic, but that was kind of, when I saw that Af South African thing and saw how they surround this person, whoever it is that supposedly did something wrong and they just shower them with more or less positive affirmations for two days. It it reminded me kind of what Richard Rohr talks about, what, um, you know, it, numerous different people, uh, Wayne Dyer will talk about it, uh, Bob Proctor talk about it, just going in and rewiring the paradigms we have about, yeah. you know, the stories we tell ourselves that create really our destiny in life. Yeah. You know, what it's all going to come out and look like. We talked about on site, and I've I actually I think I actually was listening to Richard Rohr too, and he was on a podcast that On Site had, and there I always see the quote come up from On Site too. It says, "Hey, who who were you before the world told you who you were supposed to be?" So it's kind of that right. same thing, you know right. what I mean? Like getting back to that core person of who we were before life and relationships and people, our parents, you know, perceptions, whatever it is, all told us. This is who you are. This is how you react. This is how you feel. This is how you don't feel. This is your concept of God, of self, of others, and it's it's crazy when you start thinking about it too oh, yeah. to yeah. think that hey, the things that I'm reacting now out of things that, <laughs> out of things that <laughs> you know were formed in me before I was seven. And for those of you who are not actually watching, Marcos just locked himself out of the room. And his entry code is completely... Oh, we can't say it on air. Well, you lost your rights to come in the room, so you weren't allowed to come back in. I'm just grateful right. I was allowed back in. <clears throat> yeah. To bring your entrance fee is honey from your new bee. <laughs> Reminded me of my new bee. Yeah. Well, it is, and it almost kind of does... Um, tie into what we were talking about last week that we, we might be talking about to, today is like Roar will talk about the subconscious you know shifting that subconscious mind um, in breathing underwater he's talking about what the church is actually trying to do and what the steps are actually trying to do mm -hmm. is have that spiritual experience or spiritual awakening that psychic change that it's the shifting of the subconscious mind yeah. so your old perspectives your old paradigms your old belief systems your old whatever it is Gets shifted from what it was to what it is now. Unfortunately, it takes, like you said in here, some type of, you know, deep suffering or something like that, like an addiction or something like that, to get you there. 
or like in the power of now when Eckhart Tolle is talking about the spiritual experience that he ex experienced at the very beginning of that book he says he was like I was depressed severely depressed for like 20 years and suicidal and then I had the thought that I cannot live with myself and then he thought well if I cannot live with myself surely there must be two of me the I and the self that I cannot live with that's when he had this massive spiritual experience and like he had like he, he lived on a park bench for two years just in constant state of bliss because of it because it's like his ego died but his subconscious shifted so like Emmett Fox talks about it in a lot of his readings and writings uh, anytime the Bible refers to the heart it's referring to the subconscious mm -hmm. so anytime Jesus was talking about like a change of heart it's right. just talking about the change, of, the change of the subconscious yeah and you know for somebody like me I required a very deep uh, suffering with alcoholism and addiction to get that and then even in sobriety, I'll still go through some things where I still, I still have a lot of my old paradigms and my old beliefs and stuff like that. And I still require a lot of suffering in order to get, get to that point of surrender to get to that growth. But it's like finding yourself is not the way it works. You're not a lost $20 bill. You don't look at you, you know, find yourself in a coat pocket. It's, it's, it's a self-excavation. It's like removing all that stuff right. that gets piled up on top of you. Well, I think a lot of people, if you really look at it, your, your now is simply a compilation of all the manifestations of, of your thoughts up until this point. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So when yeah. people look and say, well, I'm not happy with my life, it's because they had a blueprint that looks different than what's been manifested. You know what I mean? So it's like going back and saying, well... If that was, this was what I wanted it to look like, and this is how it's turned out, what what in the subconscious brain has to change to move it more towards that blueprint, you know? And, and that's, uh, I think we get to, what I've seen is people, they end up relying way too much on people, places, and things to create an experience in their life, because you can lose people, places, and things. and and they'll make their blueprint attached to people, places, and things, so when they lose those, they're unhappy, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that piece is one of the harder things to accept and say, hey, that's I can't make my blueprint about people, places, and things. It has to be more about states, you know? If I can get myself in a certain state of being or a certain type of energy or whatever, because I know at any given moment, God forbid, I could lose Anna, I could lose my daughters, you know what I mean? But what's what kind of state would I want to be in if that occurred, you know? Um, and, and that's what I always constantly have to look at is that it's almost like a untethered willingness to accept whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's scary as crap because yep. you just, it's, it's just going to be whatever it is. You know, and it's like, can I get to that space where, God forbid, something like you're talking about that's darker or, or difficult happens that I've got to go through, what state and what energy am I going to allow to enter my body or mind? Because I've been told and programmed on a subconscious level that when, let's just say, somebody I love dies, I'm supposed to get sad, get depressed. I mean, I've been told that. You yeah. know? What if I were to not follow that? paradigm you know what I mean what if I looked at it different what can my life look like you know yeah. and that that's kind of where I am with a lot of that stuff is realizing that my current state my current life is just this my now is a compilation of all the thoughts I've had up until this point you know 
and I've comp started comparing it as like, is this, because I remember back when I was in treatment and I made the decision to run a treatment center one day, like I, I knew it was gonna happen. And I made that decision and, it, and when I was in treatment, and at the time I said a few choice words to the lady that told, <laughs> that told me I wouldn't stay sober six months. <clears throat> but it was one of those at that moment I knew, like I'll do whatever I have to do, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll make, and a, a change in my subconscious, because before then, I would have told myself I'm not, I can't really do much of anything. Yep. Without my, because what I grew up in, my dad pulled strings for me to do anything. You know what I mean? It's whether I get out of tickets, get out of this, I could just call, call my dad and they would get a job. You know, he knew whoever it was. And this was the first experience I had, I'm going to do this without him helping. I even, in fact, when Acadia came on the scene, I even called him and said, you you have you better have not called anybody. I mean, he's like, son, I, you know, I know who those guys are, but I don't know them. <laughs> don't you dare. Yeah. If I'm going to get this job as a clinical director with him, I want to do it on my own accord. Yeah. You know? And it, it was, he, he, as far as I know, which I don't think he lied, he never did make a call. So... <laughs> But I think people gotta gotta first accept that. Like, hey, my current condition and state is is all created by the thoughts I've had up until this point. Yeah. And if I can't take responsibility for that, I'm never gonna change the subconscious of my brain. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna blame everything outside that I cannot change. It's a crazy concept to think that, because what you were you guys were both describing it. I, it, at least for me personally, I describe it as the word joy, right? To where like things can be crumbling around me, but I still have joy. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not going anywhere. Now I took a long time of, like you talked about, not becoming someone new, but unbecoming a lot of things that I had become before. If I said that correctly. Yeah. Right? Yep. yeah. yeah. Like you, you said, excavating stuff mm -hmm. and, and getting rid of things that I had walls I had built or whatever it is. And it's a crazy concept to think. Like he was just talking about, hey, if you lose someone and to still be okay and still have joy, it doesn't mean you're not emotionally wrecked, right? Yeah. But you still have joy. And it makes me think about, and this is why I love, I'm not a big, uh, I don't like hymns very much, but I do like that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Because if you look at the backstory, it was written by someone, I think he was in his 20s or something, Maybe in the 1800s, I can't remember the time, but basically this guy wrote the song, if you listen, and he's talking about through everything that's going on, everything's good in my soul right now, and he had just lost his whole family in a ship coming over to America. The ship had sank, his wife, his kids, they had all died, and immediately after he writes the song talking about like, you know, through it all, everything's good, everything's okay, my soul's good. It's all this stuff, and it's powerful to think, yeah. like, man, this guy just lost bad, yeah. Like, yeah. Everything, everything, but yet... His joy and everything is not is not lost. It's still there, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. But it is. It you know, I'm not perfect at it, and it's tough. But to get to a place where I can at least acknowledge that I had to do a lot of excavating, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to excavate this chair for making all this noise too. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, so the, this I because I have to do a thing on living in the now. Yeah. Uh, this men's thing and I was just writing a bunch of notes one day and one there's no other place you can actually live 
if you think about right. it. Right. Yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I, just as much as I said, uh, you know, our current now is simply a manifestation of our thoughts up until this moment, the now is also a current state of the future experience that must be brought into a present existence through thought. So though your current now is is this all the past thoughts you've had up into this moment, you to create another now, you have to go into the future and visualize the life you want in a state of gratitude to bring it into a present existence. Mm -hmm. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if I take if I sit and dwell on all the things that have happened to me up until this point, often our brain goes to figuring out things that aren't so good, you know what I mean? Versus if I sit and dream and envision the life that I want to have and I lay out that blueprint and I and I meditate on it, that it's currently, it's happening. It's a matter of time when I walk into it. Yeah. I can get into a state of gratitude and bring it into the present moment. Yeah. You know? Well, it's the blessing and curse I feel like of our brains our brains are wired to find problems mm -hmm. but I think like you said you can also train and rewire your brain to see constantly see the positive right I feel like you see these people yeah. all the time that and I hate to feel judgmental of them but I'm like there's no way these guys can be so positive mm -hmm. all the time and the more I've grown I've realized like yeah you can if you yeah, but you it's a, people yeah it's an actively pursuing that and well, working I mean, on the it word and, problem is a paradigm in your brain that says that there's an issue. Yeah. But see, for me, problems is what got me my career. It's true. You know what I'm saying? We talked about that last week. A CEO yeah. is, is nothing more than a, like an insanely glorified problem solver. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. That's what we do yeah. is solve problems. I mean, so I look at it as the more the, the problems occur, the more job security I have. Yeah. You know? And it's always constant. And that's what I say to the staff. is like, we're here to solve the client's problems. We're not here to get them well. We can't do that. We yeah. don't have the power to do that. Mm -hmm. They have the power to get themselves well. What we have the power to do is help them solve their problems. You know, what, what is it you need? What is it you feel you, you need? What is it you want? I mean, those are things yeah. we can step in and help them get, do, fix, you know, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that's a different way of looking at it because I think a lot of, at least when I first started counseling, I would think in terms of like I had to solve people's problems. Mm -hmm. So I felt like a heavy weight, you know what I mean? Until <laughs> I figured out like, man, I could barely manage my own life and not even doing a great job at that, you know, half the time. Wow. And it was kind of freeing to look at that and then kind of try to transition to what you're saying is just move it towards what can I help with, right. you know? Well, think about it from a counselor's standpoint. At least for me, it was early on. Is when I had someone much wiser ahead of me tell me the same thing. Like, hey, Graham, you're not qualified to actually heal them. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, being like, huh? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm the counselor, right? <laughs> but when you buy in and understand what you're saying, Todd, that it's, it's not. Like, here's what we have control over. Here's what our job is. Actually frees you up to be even that much better in my yeah. opinion. Actually helpful. You yeah. show up, yeah, <laughs> versus getting in the way. Yeah. You're making things worse, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, dude, it's, it's a whole different <clears throat> level of stress when you take on, you know, it's my responsibility to make sure this staff is okay or that or that. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, I can't do that. that. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. I can't even make sure my own kids are okay. Yeah. You know? what, what I'm there to do is, is simply and hopefully 
wire the, their subconscious in a way that's most beneficial for them long term. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and with my wife, my entire job is to be, uh, in my head, a partner and a spouse that's there to challenge old paradigms for her that don't make her the best version of herself and do that in the most loving and kind manner I can, can possibly do mm -hmm. and then support her through that transition. I'd want the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, like for me, it's changed the whole dynamic of how I approach people because when I look at you, Marcos, Brian, whoever it is, and any interaction or engagement that I have, more than likely, some of the behaviors come from that subconscious level, if not all of them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, hey, how can I learn more about this person if I look at you that way? And how can I be more sensitive to you based on the experiences you've had? Mm -hmm. You know, same way with clients, is they truly are functioning from, you know, that subconscious part of the brain yeah. and so many things that they do. Now, some of them are, it's such, it's so intense that it, we might not be the best environment for them. But, right. um, you know, I think we, we got to take a hard look at that stuff and realize that thought, really, thought is living. Mm -hmm. you, you know, if you think mm -hmm. about it that way, it's like Richard Rohr and, and, and Bob Proctor talking about Wayne Dyer, they all talk about it's like the thought and the mind cannot be kept alive by machines. You know, therefore, God has to exist in the thought. Mm -hmm. So you hear it all the time that people see themselves on the hospital bed dead, but they're still up. Like seeing themselves thinking, yeah. that's their mind, therefore mind is spirit, mm -hmm. uh, and, and spirit is thought. Yeah. So I've had to start to look at it. It's like when I did that, that exercise where it's um, you write all your thoughts down in the morning, just mm -hmm. everything you have, good, bad, nasty, ugly. Now sometimes you want to shred it or burn it yeah. afterward. Yeah. But you can see, and then you got to go back through it and, and challenge it. Is this a Todd thought or a God thought? Yeah. You know, so that one of the things that stuck out to me, I did it one time and, and I wrote like, I hate my ex-wife. Yeah. And then immediate thought I wrote down after that is why she's just no different than you are. Yeah. And when I reviewed it, I was like, holy yeah. crap, like that. There's a Todd and there's yeah. a God, right? Yeah. Very, very clearly, yes. It, it's so clear to see which ones are God thoughts and which ones are Todd thoughts. And, and then I try to start, I, I become super aware of that inside my head, and I'm able to function from a better space. You know? so we, <clears throat> I love that exercise. I've, I've done that a lot. I did it for months on end at a place I was at before because we were trying to learn how do, you how do I differentiate Graham from God, because I used to say, like, well, you can't hear, I can't, God's not speaking, that's what I used to say to people, God's not speaking to me, he's not talking, like, I can't, I can't hear that, the very same thing, I said, all right, start writing it all down, right, and it's like an undeniable thing when you write down a thought that has come from God, in my opinion, you're like, oh, wow, because that's not how I talk, that's not how I, you know what I mean, like, like you yeah. said, the first comment was right. the stuff that comes out of me, and then you hear that, and you're like, wow, it's a good way to start. And that's the stuff that's coming from, from what Brian's talking about is the, the heart. You yeah. know what I mean? That, that the true th thought of God coming from, mm -hmm. from a place of your heart versus your head. Yeah. Which is a hard, it was a hard concept for me to grasp. Yeah. You know, early on was my intellectual mind and then the, the, my spiritual mind, if yeah. you will, is more your heart. Yeah. And it is, and I love that exercise because it is a, a tough, it's a difficult thing to discern what's the right thought or the wrong thought or the God thought or the Todd thought. 
because, you know, I'm taught that I am powerless over alcohol and drugs. And then the book also says that the main problem of the alcoholic, like myself, centers in my mind rather than my body. But like somebody like Emmett Fox is constantly talking about the spiritual journey of being all about changing my thoughts. And then they're all talking about, like, you have the power to do so. And so I get confused. I'm like, so who's doing it? Right. What do right. I have power over? What am I doing? I, am I using the phone? So differentiating those two different things has been, you know, it's been an interesting journey for me. Because I, I will often, it's like the delusion. I will slip into the delusions all the time. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I can almost sense that tug within me. That, like, I'm still identified with the, the Brian thoughts and which are destructive or negative or whatever the case may be but I'll, I'll like almost see myself in that delusion I'm like this is not healthy this is not right you know this is not what's going on and it's so much a part of I feel like what the spiritual journey is all about and shifting that per- perceptions and shifting the subconscious and stuff like that and shifting those par- those paradigms because I will get so attached to certain things like I like the idea you were talking about earlier about making the decision, like you made the decision right then and there that you were going to, and the book talks about that in the third step, making that decision and requires action. Like when I came to Blue Ridge, I tell the clients that all the time. I was like, I just made a decision. I had tried every other way. I had tried all the half measures way. I'm just going to do like what they suggested, what they said worked. And I made that decision no matter what happens in my life. I'm just going to do that. And that's always where that serenity came from. Like you talked about joy. Yeah. I, I use the word serenity. No matter what's happening in my life, I'll still have that. Like, and I could be in a state of complete emotional chaos and still be like, but I know, I know deep down I'm okay. Yeah. I'm still stuck in that weird delusion. Yeah. But it's, it's a very intriguing and interesting journey to kind of see those two sides to those two thoughts. Well, you even go down the road and fuck what you just said, I'm going to make the decision to do this, but then the mind, what I see it all the time is you, and you hear it, is why I did everything y'all told me last time. You know what I mean? Not you did, but you did it in an attitude that it's not going to work. Right. Because the surrender surrender wasn't there. Right, and the the attitude, attitude is everything, and attitude's thought. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I tell people all the time, it's like, if I come in, I can fake it until I make it, as much as I want, but at the end of the day, eventually, that will fail me over and over and over unless my attitude changes yeah. about something. So it's like what Brian's saying, here's what I knew when I got sober is, I did the same thing, y'all tell me what I need to do. Um, I made that decision, not, whatever you tell me to do, well, over, I, this is what I knew. Going back to the life that I had, it was miserable, I knew that didn't work. I had accepted that I didn't know what recovery looked like, held, or whether it'd work or not. You know what I mean? And just being in that space and being open enough to not say, this is stupid and I know it's not going to work, but I'll do it anyway, Mm -hmm. is totally different. And and that's what I think listeners need to understand. is like you can take action all day long, but in the back of your mind and your subconscious, if you're constantly, like if you're in school and you say to yourself, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna get a degree, but that voice says, "Yeah, but you're still not gonna amount to anything." Yeah. Guess what's gonna happen? Yeah. You're gonna get all those degrees and probably end up continuing through school, get a PhD, all this kind of stuff, and still look back and you have made no progress yeah. Yeah. because your attitude about the whole deal in your life had never changed. Yeah. And that was. That was one thing for me that changed in that moment is I made that decision. My attitude surrounding it 
chat like this is not an option anymore. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's attitude that makes a difference in submission and surrender. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can like, uh, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I did the same thing at multiple treatment centers and even at the place that was my last stop, I, I could submit really well. I'm a doer. You know what I mean? Like, all right, mm-hmm. tell me what I need to do. I can do it. But my attitude was, I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing when I get done. Like, I'll do what you want. Right. And if something changes, great. Probably won't. I don't really care, but I'll do it. And it wasn't until my attitude shifted to, I've got to do this because I can't go back to doing that. Right. Yeah. I can't go back to, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Right. They just sat in a room. This guy was like, well, there's four of you statistically three of y'all aren't going to make it. One of y'all is. And it was, I don't know if it was him challenging me or what, but something clicked right then when I looked at all three of them thing in my head, like, well, then they're screwed. Cause I'm going to be, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do whatever it takes, whatever I have to. And I still continue to do everything they're asking me to do, but I had a completely different attitude towards it. And it was like, it's funny that's when the joy started happening right i didn't get everything right i screwed a lot of things up right right? and still had a lot of things i needed to unbecome right Mm -hmm. but the joy on the inside was there the surrender was there and my attitude changed and it's to be honest with you that's when i tell people i was like it was almost like god ignited the rocket ship for my life and it just it took off like immediately from there so it's so funny how people will react completely differently to that, that challenge that you spoke of. Like yeah. Three out of 50 of you and some people are like, ah, well, I guess screw this. And some people are like, no, I'm definitely going to do this. Yeah. And it's so funny how they, they do that. It's that's, weird because I... That's what they did to me in the There's like 16 of us and there are like two of you will be sober a year from now and I looked around the room for the other guy. Yeah. Because like, yeah. I know yeah. I'm going to be yeah. one who's right. the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was like, I don't do really I like him. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I'm going to like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Mine was like, I don't really care I was self-centered I just want, I just didn't want to feel the way I was feeling anymore you know I had that same mindset that same attitude like I, I see how miserable that was so I know I no longer want to live in that state of miserableness and so I you know, that that talk that I heard the guy talking about the perceptions and then that affects my feelings and that affects my actions he, and he talks about that that the attitude of if I see a problem as being insoluble then it's going to be insoluble like I will I can work on it, and work on it, and work on it, but eventually it's, I'm, I'm, it's not going to be solved. But if I see the problem as having a solution and I put everything in my being towards that solution, then it will get solved. It just, that's that power that's within us and the universe will work, work for Well, us. and even go a step further than that. So even if you're in that problem and you say to yourself, I don't, I don't know that if it has a solution, but what I do know is it has a process. You know, and I don't even need to know if there's going to be a solution, but I'm willing to walk the process. That's where I learn the most is going through that process. And in my head, I'll get in this state. Like when we got hit with COVID the first time, I didn't, like I knew there was a a solution at the end of the rainbow of it all, but I didn't know at the time what that's going to be. I'm just here for the process. And after it's all over, people are like, you know, saying all these different things. You'd hear it on the news, the negative thing. It was, you know, one of the greatest professional experiences I've ever went through was getting hit like that because you had to completely change the way your mindset worked around what your job was for these clients at that point and the staff and the community. You know, what I mean, it's like a whole different ball game, and it helped me grow professionally in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, because there there's so many other people 
that are just now in the space of like, I don't know what we'll do if we get hit with it. Mm -hmm. And as I, you don't need to know what you'll do other than show up. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, I think, staying focused too on, on not only there's always a solution, but what can I gain from the process on the way to the solution. Right. You know? I don't have to know what the solution is. And too many people focus on that. And when you can't give them an answer to that in the immediate, they, they forget the process and go back to the way they were doing it. Yeah. And that's, I admittedly have some personal experience with, with that here recently is I've, I've kind of slipped into that. It's like, trust the process, trust the process. Like my first sponsor told me that all the time. And I've been in a situation lately where I've attached a blueprint of my life to, you know, a loss of a relationship, right. you know, and so I've been de dealing with that and I've been focusing too much on the end result of that situation rather than just trusting the process. And that's been such a source of the misery surrounding it for me, you know, and it's, it's all like you were talking about before, like I'll not, I didn't do any of that perfectly, it's, yeah. it's all about, you know, I've made mistakes and yeah. that's, that's how it is for me and the only way that I can learn from the mistakes is to make the mistakes and, and to grow through it and then I trust the process because sometimes I'll say, you know, am I, am I trusting God right now? But all I'm looking at is like the solution. Well, I don't know what that solution is or I don't know what that end result is, but I can trust God through the process. So, yeah, and if you're focused on the process and the negative of that, right. how do I get to that? I mean, yeah, you're not, you're not trusting God, right? You're not worrying about what you can take care of right now. And you don't understand that the experience you need is the one you're probably living right now, too, right. which is the process, right? And if right. you want to figure out how to get to that end result, worry about right now, you know? Yeah. Because we were programmed early on, this is the picture you got to paint for your life. Mm -hmm. You can go to high school, go to college, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they give you the solution or the end goal, this is what it should look like. And you, we aren't prepared for the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which just dawned on me the other night, too. We were, we were watching football, and my son goes, what is Georgia? And I was like, it's a college. And he's like, what's college? Right? So I started telling him what it was, and he goes, I'm not going to college. And I immediately went, yes, you are. <laughs> and then afterwards, thought about it, I was like, I haven't, I haven't finished college. You know what I mean? But then I started thinking, I, and I haven't, obviously, six. But it made me start thinking, too, like, well, he doesn't have to. We know now in his mind, he's thinking, well, when the word college comes up, well, my dad told me I have to do that. You know what I mean? So, like, oh, yeah. that's already in his head, whether he knows it or not. You know? Well, and he's young enough that you can go back and, and reprogram. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's, it's stuff like that, I think, that my, my desires for other people in their life, I got to be very cautious about it how I say it, when I say it, and what tone I say it, and what age I say it, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because it can plant seeds within them that, that can create all kinds of havoc, you yeah. know? And that was what happened to me at an early age. Like, if you don't, if you don't get the degrees and you don't, you're not gonna amount to much of anything. Yeah. And, and that was, that moment when I made the decision to, to run a treatment center back when I was, you know, six months sober, the reality at the time was I, at the same time, I made the decision that I don't need all that to, to be what I would deem successful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, Hey, I can, the value that God has given me and the experience of being an addict and an alcoholic that there's value, there's worth in that, yeah. you know, and can I take that 
And utilizing here just recently, I've learned it's like, because somebody said to me uh, one day, it's been probably a month or two ago, because I still sit with it, is they said, well, man, you've done this for like 16, 17 years, so you're an expert when it comes to it. I was like, holy crap. Like, I don't see myself <laughs> it's true, though. as that expert. And then I started thinking, I literally, like certain things, I literally have the content, like six-hour trainings, all that. that. That's enough to write an entire book because I'll listen to books on YouTube, and they're roughly somewhere about six, seven hours. I'm like, yeah. that's I've got the entire book already done. Yeah. I just need to put it on paper, you know, and it's like you you slowly start to realize I manifested this through through the change in my subconscious mind what I was capable of doing. Yeah. And now at 42, I'm going back in there to say, now what's next? Yeah. You know, because it, it, I you get to that age like, well, you might as well just stick it out. you got 17 years under your bed. Don't try yeah. something new at this point. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like I'm trying to come out of that even at this, you know, made it to the where I said I was going to make Now what can I do to challenge myself for another 17 years, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just, it makes life a beautiful experience, you know, just to sit and think. You know, Anna's, Anna's now shifted from wanting to be a PA to a doctor. And it's like, well, but I don't know, you know, by the time I get out of school, about it's like, none of that matters. It'd be so cool uh, to be 60 years old and married to a doctor. Like, I never thought my life yeah, would right. that way. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like shifting all these paradigms. Like she never even thought she'd go back to school. Yeah. And to see her shift that, you know, and it, it that, to me, I, what I want listeners here, it isn't about school, right? It's about shifting the mind frame around something that you constantly have told yourself you can't do, yeah. you won't do, whatever it may be. Well, know? the world tells you, too, when you get to be older like us, well, you can't go back to school. Right. You can't go, you, you know, you can't go be a doctor. You'll be a doctor and you'll be 60. Like, right. no one starts being a doctor. That's... That's what the world tells you. Right. You know what I mean? Which is just not, not true. It's not truth. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the red, if you believe that God lives within the mind, and, and the mind, is, the true mind is the heart, mm-hmm. uh, then what you're telling is, is you're limiting your experience in life by saying stuff like that. Yeah. You know, because what if, what if God wants you to do that for whatever for reason? reason? Yeah. You don't even know. Yeah. You know. It's like, what if Anna were to go through that entire process because she would meet one person, one woman in a class that's struggling with alcoholism, trying to be a doctor, and she was able mm-hmm. to change that girl's life, who then went on check. Who knows? Yeah. So it's like, shame on me forever limiting the experience I could have through the way I think. Yeah. You know, and it's like... It, the, to me, that's one of the most important things we have to do and then carry that message to other people. That's what the 12 Steps did for me. It completely shifted the paradigm in my head about all of that. You know, when you look at power, control, manageability, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it went in and did and said, no, in fact, you're not, you have no power. Your life is completely unmanageable. <laughs> you know, when I was saying something totally different. Yeah. Right. So... That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. The paradigm shift. Yeah. Even when all evidence suggests that everything is unmanageable, I will still fight again. No, I got this. Yeah. I'm going to do this and then I'll be happy and everything will work out well. You see that a lot with alcoholics is they'll have just like 
one or two little details in their life that's that's manageable, and they're like, I'm, my life's not unmanageable. Yes. I mean, define unmanageable. I mean, I'm in treatment, but it's not unmanageable. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, it's like you'll have a person that's just a phenomenal success externally. They can manage everything externally, all that. Yeah. But on the inside, it is an absolute wreck. Yeah. yeah. And, and they say, well, yeah, but I don't use or drink but once a month well all that is that once a month is where you're, you get to a point where you can no longer tolerate yourself and therefore you medicate it and then it gives you <laughs> but the older you get the harder that is yeah. right you know? yeah. and it will eventually grab hold of you now i told somebody the other day it's like if you they're talking about looking in the mirror and they felt so much guilt shame and remorse that they weren't sure they were alcoholic i said look if you look in the mirror and you see that you're an alcoholic yeah. because a normal person would not see right. guilt, shame, and remorse over drinking once yeah. or twice a month. Yeah, like, right. That that doesn't make any sense. My brother doesn't see guilt, right. shame, and remorse yeah. when he looks you know? into the mirror. So it's it's I love those moments in my own life when I feel that kind of stuff because I know there's a big message. Yeah. It's okay. This is to wake you up. Yeah. You know, it's a, the conscious. I think God gives us that to say, hey. Here's something I want you to look at and change, you know, whatever it may be. Right. And for an an alcoholic or for myself, I remember when it clicked and I realized, too, that one, I do have a problem, but two, this goes much deeper than any substances that I'm putting in my body. You know, they're just, they're a by, they're a, they're a byproduct of something that's going on much deeper. Well, you know, it's, you take it even that whole a lot of stuff I've worked on because my conscience told me, and I believe my conscience was God speaking from my, mm-hmm. my heart. And just because I want to change it doesn't mean I think there's something wrong with it if you do it. you know. But I think so many people judge other people based on, well, that person's like when, when I had the, it dawned on me in recovery that, hey, I had that conscious thought of like, hey, you need to stop cussing all the time because I was foul. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I tell people, it's like, I, I, I don't, Anna still uses vulgarity. I mean, other friends of mine, it, it doesn't mean that I think negatively of you. Like, it just wasn't for me. Yep. It's like yeah. smoking. I don't care if people smoke. Yep. Yeah. Just for me, I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Right. You know? So I think a lot of people need to also, if you're that uncomfortable cussing around me, then that says more about you than it does me because it doesn't bother me. Well, that's the voice you need to listen to right. inside of yourself that's telling you. Right. This might be something you need to but work then, But we make change. it about other people, and therefore we lose an experience because yeah. we back away from that person. Yeah, it has nothing yeah. to do with the other person. It has everything to do with you. Yeah. 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 It's like the big book talks about we're careful not to look down at drinking as an institution. Right. We don't judge people for it. We just, it's just not for me anymore. Yeah. You know, and if I do start judging somebody for it, I'm like, ah, oh, man, these people are, I, there's something inherently wrong with me. Right. There's something spiritually flawed with me that I need to probably take a look at. Yeah. Gotta be in tune with yourself to pick up on this, though. Yeah. You know, it's easy to push it off on someone else. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can call it the, the honey of the subconscious mind. It's the way we're tying in the bees. I see <laughs> what you did there. The bees, yeah. Marcos left. Marcos left. For we those who did not know. Marcos. He's still in the room, but he can't speak. We we, his, his rights. His, his <laughs> rights are gone. Yeah. Good conversation. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Let's end there. A little bit longer episode than normal, but man, it's good stuff. So don't miss this one, and we will see everyone next week.